You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. Well, good morning. It's fantastic to be with you, especially if you're joining us in Merns or Mackey Academy this morning. I'm extremely glad I'm not sat there watching myself on the big screen. That must be absolutely hideous, but never mind. And also a huge hi to you if you're joining us in the uh, online community. I think there's about a couple of hundred of you now who are joining us either live or uh, on catch up every week. And so it's fantastic to have you with us. I don't know whether you've ever thought about how we arrive at what we speak about week by week. You know, I'm sure you presume that there's lots of prayer and thought that goes into this thing, but there's essentially three routes. The first route is we just preach about the passage of the Bible after the one that we looked at last week. And, and do you know what? It's been so powerful over the years, uh, you know, last 15 years or so. We've just worked our way through huge chunks of scripture, like most of the New Testament now and and big chunks of the Old Testament. And, and we really believe that God speaks to us through his word and that you could open up the Bible at any page and God would speak through it. And so that's been a joy. That's one route. The second route is, you know, sometimes we do a series and we just carefully think through what are the things that we need to be teaching into in our church at the moment pastorally and, and we just try to address some of those things. But there's another route to this thing and that's basically this that the Holy Spirit hijacks what we were going to do and, and we feel compelled to speak about something that we weren't expecting to speak about. And that's exactly what's happening today. I have never, as far as I can remember, spoken on this subject before. Uh, there might be a reason for that. But just as I was preparing to speak about something entirely different, I felt compelled to speak about this particular subject. And before I say what it is, just so you know, you, you might wonder, oh, is, is, it, is this the kind of church that this is? If you're visiting or whatever, you're like, oh, I get it. It's this kind of church. Like I said, I've never spoken on this subject before. The subject is spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare. In fact, the title of this talk is Engaging the Spiritual War because, um, well, I, I don't know exactly why I feel compelled to speak about it. I think part of it is that I... I'm aware as a pastor looking out over all of the different expressions of our church, I can see that the enemy is, uh, is at work. Uh, and lots of people are struggling in all kinds of different ways. Uh, and there are all kinds of things happening around the life of our church that doesn't seem fair, and it's certainly not easy. Uh, and so maybe that's part of it, I don't know. But, but anyway, this is what we're going to do today. We're going to look at engaging the spiritual war. And... Uh, it kind of fits into the series that we're doing that's called Do Different because, uh, you know, the basic premise of that series is uh, that Jesus is calling us to be the light of the world. And so he's calling us to think differently from everyone else, to believe different truths and assumptions to everyone else and to behave in a different way to everyone else. And there's one way in which we are dramatically different from everyone else and that is how we see the world. Our worldview, the biblical worldview, is dramatically different from uh, everyone who's living in the streets and, and houses all around us. Uh, the truth is, 
that there are really two main options for the kind of postmodern atheistic uh, Western world uh, in terms of like, well, how do you see the world? How do you understand w what the world is made of? Um, one you might call rational materialism. Uh, and that's essentially to say, well, listen, I just believe that the world is made up of atoms and molecules and electrons and all that kind of thing. You know, it's like it's matter. It's things you can touch. It's things that you can taste. It's things that you can experience. And, and all of those things are subject to the laws of nature and science. But that's it. There's nothing else. Just matter. Rational materialism. Richard Dawkins would be a major proponent of this worldview, and he wrote this. He said, in a, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. And then he went on to say, DNA neither knows nor cares, DNA just is, and we dance to its music. Well, happy Sunday morning, everyone. Hope you're enjoying this talk this morning. It's a bleak way to see the world. It's bleak, isn't it? Uh, I'm reminded of the National Secular Society. They put up all of these signs on London buses a few years ago, and they said, there's probably no God, so stop worrying and enjoy your life. And the numbers of people uh, on all of the Alpha courses in London just shot up because everyone thought, oh, no, I don't want to live like that. There's probably no God. Stop worrying. Enjoy your, enjoy your life. So rational materialism is one way to see the world. The, the opposite way is also being punted at us all the time. And, and I like to call that irrational garden gnomism. And, and that's kind of like, it's a bit like the, um, the force in Star Wars. The force, it's in the plants, it's in the trees. It's like there's a kind of a spiritual world, you know, like, um, uh, you know, you can access it with crystals or with transcendental meditation or, or with clairvoyance. But the, there's a spiritual world. It doesn't mean you any harm. It's generally kind. It's generally benign. It's kind of just there. And if you want to tap into it, great, go for your life. And, and the reason I call it irrational garden gnomism is because, you know, you might say, well, where are you getting that from? Like, what are you basing that on? Uh, and they would say, well, I don't know, it's just, it's just what I believe. Just, there's no root to it whatsoever. Um, the biblical Christian worldview is dramatically different from both of those two views. Because the, what the Bible teaches is that the world isn't only made up of things that you can touch and uh, taste and see. You know, it's not only made up of atoms and molecules and electrons. There's another realm at work in the world. It's called the spiritual realm. And in the spiritual realm, there are powerful and personal and evil forces at work, spiritual forces at work in the world that we can't see. But we can, it's a bit like the wind, we, we can't see them, but we can, uh, we can see their effects. And, and actually, if you stop to think about it for a moment, that way of seeing the world is the best explanation for what we experience in the world. So we, we see those dark and evil spiritual forces at work uh, on a personal level in terms of uh, addiction or bitterness or envy. You see them at work at an interpersonal level in terms of relational breakdown and unfaithfulness and uh, fighting and so on. You see it at a society or structural level in terms of 
oppression or injustice or inequality. You see at an international level in terms of the wars, think about the war in Ukraine right now, the enemy is having a field day in that situation. And you also see at a cosmic or creation level in terms of earthquakes and famines and pandemics and of course the flood right now that's happening in Pakistan, which is horrendous. That's how we see the world. Richard Dawkins says, no, no, it's just atoms and molecules and the laws of nature and physics. And we say, no, 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 there's more to it at work. There's, a, you know, there is a, a spiritual world and it's made up of dark and evil spiritual forces. That's why the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter one talks about this present evil age. That seems to me a really truthful explanation for the world as we experience it. The other thing is, it's not only the powers of darkness that are present in the world, God is present and at work in the world. He is in our midst and he is active. That's how the Bible teaches that the world works. And so we're gonna look this morning at Ephesians chapter six, and uh, if you've got a Bible with you, now's the moment to produce it. We're going to be asking the question, how do we live with the reality of uh, a spiritual darkness all around us? Uh, like I say, this is a, like an unusual talk, but I think it's important. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesian church. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And that's God's word to us today. Do you notice there the words that the Apostle Paul used to describe the enemy? the devil. Uh, he says that the enemy is cunning and clever. I'm getting that from verse 11 where he talks about the devil's schemes. He said powerful and that he's evil in verse 12. And he talks about the world as being a dark world. So these aren't garden gnomes or benign spiritual fairies or anything like that. This is a serious opponent that the apostle Paul wants us to stand against. And he says it is possible to stand and to stand and to stand. And then when everything's done and the battle's over, we're still standing for God. So uh, that's what he's expecting. So how do, we, how do we take our stand? 
in this spiritual war. So many things that we could say. We could go through each of the different aspects of the armor of God. And I'm sure if you've been a Christian for a long time, you may have heard a talk like that. I'm not going to do that today. Maybe that will come in a later series. But there are five things that I see from this passage. The first thing is be alert. Be alert. Reminds me of when my dad used to say, be alert. Your country needs alerts, which I think is really funny. But obviously you don't. Never mind. So imagine uh, you've just moved into your dream house. You know, like you've, you've been carefully putting money aside and stewarding your resources. You've had a few good breaks with the property market and you've sold at the right time. You've bought at the right time. You've managed to, to achieve your dream home. The removal people have put their boxes in all the different rooms. You've unpacked them all. You've put everything exactly as you want it to be. And then you say, right, everyone, let's go and celebrate. And you take your family or your friends, your household to, obviously, Nando's to celebrate. And, and uh, so as you're leaving the house, you leave the windows wide open with the curtains fluttering in the breeze. You leave the patio doors open with, with the blinds fl flickering. You leave the front door wide open and you get in your car to go. Hopefully, you've got somebody in your life who at that point will give you a slap and say, what are you doing? Don't you know that there's such a thing in the world as a thief, as a burglar? Don't you know that there are people in the world who want to take everything you've got from you and leave you with absolutely nothing, everything that you've earned, everything you've worked towards, everything that you've received over your life, they'll come and they'll take the whole lot. The Apostle Paul is essentially saying the same thing about the spiritual world. Don't you know that there's somebody in the world who wants to take everything from you? That's why he says in verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And then he goes on in second half of verse 18, with this in mind, be alert, be aware, be aware, be switched on, be turned on to the reality of the world that we live in is what Paul is saying. And if I could just be real for a moment, not that I wasn't being real before, but you know what I mean. Like, there are people who ought to be in Mearns Academy or Mackey Academy right now who used to be in Mearns Academy or Mackey Academy before the pandemic or whatever, and they're not there anymore. And there are lots of reasons for that, but one of the reasons is that they weren't aware. They weren't alert. They weren't turned on to the reality that there was someone in the world, a spiritual, personal force, who is wanting to deceive them and lie to them and take them off course. And so they're not there anymore. And if I could just urge you, if, you, if you've got somebody in your mind right now, you, you may be watching this online or in one of the sites, and you think, I haven't seen that person for ages. I wonder what happened to them. You know, maybe you're the only person who's thought of their name in the last few months. Please, would you leave the 99 and go after the one? Please, we have to be the kind of church that goes looking for people who go missing. Please will we do that. So be alert is the first thing. Secondly, be empowered. Be empowered. And I'm really conscious that the tone of this talk is a bit heavy at points and, and that in some ways it's sounding like I'm communicating like this isn't really a fair fight. You know, the enemy is really, really powerful and we're really, really puny. And the truth is I am quite puny. Um, I don't want to speak for you, but, you know... Uh, 
and the enemy is quite strong, but it is not a fair fight because God is God Almighty. He is all-powerful and he will crush the enemy. In fact, the enemy's destiny is already decided. The, the lake of fire is just warming up for him as we speak. That you know, His end point is decided, but right now he is at work. But the Lord is mighty in his power. It's important to note some of the grammar in this sentence. If you're new to the Bible, you might not know, but the New Testament was originally written in Greek and is translated into English. And some of the grammar is important. So uh, the first thing to notice is that very first sentence there, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, has just in that short sentence there, three words for power. So it could easily be translated as be empowered in the Lord and in his powerful power. Power, power, power. He's wanting to just really accentuate the fact that God is a God of power in a way that nobody else, either human or spiritual, is in the universe, in the cosmos at the moment. He's, ex he's accentuating, emphasizing the almighty or glorious power of God. Uh, the second thing to notice is when he says, be strong in the Lord, it's actually written in the passive voice and in the present continuous tense. Let me just explain what that means. So passive voice is not really like be strong as in fist bump, uh, you know, man up, you know, pull, your, pull yourself together. It's not that at all. It, it's, it's passive. So it's be strengthened in the Lord. Allow yourself to be strengthened by God. It's in the passive um, Voice. It's also present continuous tense, so it's present. It's not like if you were strengthened yesterday, that's great, but he's saying today, right now, be strengthened. And then it's in the continuous tense, so it's present continuous, which means uh, go on and on and on today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Go on being strengthened by the almighty or glorious power of God. I don't know whether you've ever been to the Niagara Falls, I haven't been to the Niagara Falls, but I have been to Wikipedia, which is similar. And uh, on Wikipedia, it says this, 168,000 tonnes of water go over the Niagara Falls every minute. And they, you can imagine the sheer power and the weight of that water just pounding on the water below. For me, that's a picture of what it's like to live under the power of God just the relentless, continuous power that is available to us, heaven's resources constantly being poured out for us on the earth below. The third thing to notice about the grammar and the language of this, this passage is that in the ancient Near East, which is the, the time and the place that the Bible was written in, uh, when two warriors wanted to make a treaty with one another, they wanted to join forces against their mutual enemies, they, and they, they would make a covenant. And as they made a covenant together, uh, which would involve often the spilling of blood of a, an animal sacrifice and so on, but as, which is a bit grim, but apart from that, they would also give and receive armour as a sign. You see it happening in the story of David and Jonathan in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 3. David and Jonathan make a covenant with one another, and it says, 
Uh, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe that he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. And by exchanging armour, David and Jonathan together, what they were saying is, your enemy is my enemy. Your battle is my battle and my resources are your resources. So interesting then that when speaking about this spiritual war that's at work all around us and speaking about an enemy that we are really puny to fight against, uh, the Apostle Paul says, put on the full armour of God. In other words, your enemy is his enemy. Your battle is his battle. His resources are your resources. Be empowered. Be empowered. That's the second one. Uh, third one, be in God. You can also notice in this passage, just there's one little word which isn't quite what you, you would expect it to be. You might expect it to say, be empowered by the Lord and his powerful power. But in fact, it doesn't say by the Lord. It says in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. And if you're the kind of person who likes to underline things in your Bible, that's why it's a good idea to have a paper Bible that you're happy to deface. I think underlining things can be so helpful. Underline the word in. Be strong in the Lord. What he's saying is, he's saying, this isn't some kind of abstract power. This isn't like plugging yourself into the electricity socket and just receiving some impersonal, random, abstract power. What he's saying is, this, the, the, this power is profoundly relational. The source of it is a relationship with God. We receive this power and this strength to fight against our enemy by being in God, by being united with Christ. You see it all the time in the Apostle Paul's writing, all the time, over and over again, he's talking about being in Christ, in Christ Jesus, in God, in Christ. En curio, it means in the Lord. And uh, it's just the, the great passion of his life that so much um, strength, hope, peace, joy is found as we draw ourselves up into the arms of our Father in heaven. It's one of his favourite little phrases. It's also one of Jesus' uh, kind of key aspects of his teaching is this union with God. So in John 15, he says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit apart, uh, unless you remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you. So I think what we can learn from all of that is that our acts of devotion are our acts of warfare. Right? So that whenever we pray whenever we um, fast, whenever we take moments of solitude to be alone with God, these, whenever we worship, the, these moments are moments of warfare when we fight. We fight this battle on our knees. We fight it with God, in God, united with God. 
Our, our kids are just back from DTI, Dreaming the Impossible, a huge youth festival for uh, young people from all over the UK and Ireland and beyond. And the truth is that it was only a couple of weeks ago, and so we've only heard seven words so far, because we get one word every other day about how it actually was. But uh, last year, an amazing story came out of a young girl who was just living in, in a place of torment for, so, for some years. She'd just been sur surrounded by darkness and really struggling. Life was a huge struggle for her, a battle. And uh, she was just in a really dark place. She goes to DTI and nobody, like she was in the worship, nobody was praying for her, no, no hands were touching her, nothing like that. She was just communing with God. She was just being united with God. And as that happened, she said, this freedom just burst into my life and the darkness just kind of broke off my life. And, and she experienced this, this absolute freedom from this torment that had been surrounding her for the previous few years. And then the, the story ends with her. She, she kind of comes out of the main meeting. She's in, into the sunlight. She's kind of blinking in the sunlight. She looks at her arms where there's the signs of all of the times when she's been hurting herself in the past. And all of those scars have completely disappeared. We fight our battles by drawing ourselves into the arms of God. In God, be in God is number three. Number four, uh, be together, be together. I didn't really realize, I, I'm, I can remember reading this passage really early on in my journey of faith, but I didn't really realize that for the last however many years, I've been reading this passage slightly wrong. Because when I was reading it, I always just kind of imagined in my head, like there's the Apostle Paul, he's a bit like the Sergeant Major, you know, and he's, he's kind of saying, come on, Chuck, come on, soldier, put your armor on, get yourself sorted out, like, you know, kind of get yourself uh, in the right place, put, put all your armor on. And actually what I didn't really realize until I was studying the passage this time round was that this isn't written to individuals. Just like all of Paul's letters, this letter is written to a church, to a group of people, to a community. And in fact, um, one of the uh, commentaries on my bookshelf is a commentary on the book of Ephesians written by the impossibly named Klein Snodgrass. I promise you that's true. Klein Snodgrass. And my, my new best friend Klein, he, he wrote this. He said, our English translation can't easily, easily show it but the imperatives throughout this section are plural. We usually interpret them as if, it were, if, as if they were addressed to individuals, but without denying their relevance for individuals, we should understand uh, them as Paul's instructions for the church collectively to put on God's armor and stand as one person. In other words, what he's saying is, take your stand together, be strengthened together, in the Lord, put on together the full armor of God. We fight this battle in community, as family, as an army, rather than as individual soldiers. Many of you will know that five years ago, Taryn and I had the unique opportunity to um, buy a plot of land and to build our own house, which was just the adventure of a lifetime and also exactly like every Grand Designs 
episode you've ever watched. Very, very stressful. Um, but anyway, uh, and when I say I, we built the house our, uh, ourselves, I mean, you know, builders built it, right? So, so, so my part of the thing was to just keep writing the checks and begging the mortgage company for more, for more money. That's what, that's what I did. But anyway, so I reckon there were like 40 or 50 people who uh, participated in building our house t together. And, and you know, But just imagine for a moment if it was just me, if I was the only person who built that house, right? So I'm like operating the crane. At one point, there are these massive steel girders that are being lowered into position. And just imagine that I'm like in the cab of the crane and I'm maneuvering this big girder into position. And then I'm getting out of the cab. I'm running. I'm going up this rickety old ladder with some spanners and a hammer. And I'm kind of like trying to maneuver this thing into position. And then I'm trying to do the plastering and the plumbing and the electrics and all of these kinds of things, just trying to do the whole thing myself, you would say that would be disastrous and also extremely dangerous. My point is, if nobody thinks that building a house by yourself is a good idea, why does anyone try to build a life by themselves? We need one another, especially because of the forces at work in the world. We need to fight together. Um, isolation is a dangerous thing. And, and like if I've learned anything as a pastor over, well, in fact, I stopped working in IT about this time in 1998 to kind of do this. Uh, and, and so like I've been a pastor for a long time. I've observed one thing really clearly. And that is, and forgive me if this is really, really practical, but what I would say is this, the most powerful thing that you can do to keep yourself safe in the spiritual battle, join a connect group. Join a connect group. If you go week by week to be with a small community of people, you pray together, you open the scriptures together, you walk through life with one another, it's very, very difficult for the enemy to pick you off. It's isolation that leads to danger. Another thing would be to be present on Sundays, you know, either online or in person. You know, like if you're there every week in Stonehaven or in, in Merns or online, you're there every week and then one week you're not there, then people are immediately saying, oh my goodness, we need to go looking for them. They're not there. Community is a powerful thing. Be together. The last thing, and I'll finish with this, is be praying. Be praying. Count them with me, verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. That's five times in three sentences. He considers prayer to be absolutely vital. You know, often I think we don't pray because we're not completely sure whether it will really make any difference. Like, won't it just all happen however God wants it to happen? Well, that is not Paul's perspective. He is urging them to pray because he believes that prayer would make a difference. And in fact, uh, he gives us this really helpful three kind of things to pray for, which I think you could pray in the car, you could pray in the queue for lunch, you could pray um, as you're walking to work. Three things. He says, first of all, pray for yourself. 
I'm getting that from verse 18. Pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. He says, pray for yourself. Secondly, pray for one another. He says, pray for all the Lord's people. Pray for yourself, pray for one another. And thirdly, pray for the mission. He says, pray for the proclamation of the mystery of the gospel. Pray for yourself, pray for one another, pray for the mission. Let me just finish with this. I, I um, heard a brilliant story. I'm sure it's made up, but it's a brilliant story of a pastor who was gathering his people to pray. And as they were praying together on like a Thursday night or something like that, suddenly they felt compelled to pray for this particular bar in the town. And they were praying that this bar would close down because they recognised that this bar was the a place, uh, the source of loads of dysfunction in the town and lots of relational breakdown. They were like, if that closed down, that would be good for the town. And they prayed that it would be shut down. Well, anyway, two days later, the bar struck by lightning. And uh, it burns to the ground. It's completely gone. And the bar owner takes the church to court. And he says, that my bar was burnt down by an act of God as a result of your prayers. Well, the lawyer for the church makes his defense and he says no 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 you can't prove that those prayers made any difference at all and so the judge is there he's like this is so confusing I never I've never been in this situation before he says I've got a bar owner who's arguing for the effectiveness of Christians prayer and I've got a whole church full of people who are denying that prayer makes any difference at all I love that story what if the most powerful thing that we could do what if it really made a difference was to pray. And it seems to me like, you know, I've looked throughout the whole Bible. I can't actually find the gift of intercession in the Bible. I'm sure that there are some people who are passionate about it and the Lord's laid it on their heart. But actually, I think Christians are generally divided up into people who pray and people who ought to pray. We all ought to be praying. And there's a vision being laid out for us here. We could pray in a way that really makes a difference in this situation. And with that, why don't I pray? Father God, we're so glad that you are mighty and glorious in your power. There is no one in heaven or earth who could even uh, slightly damage you. You are all-powerful, almighty God. And we pray for ourselves, we pray for one another, we pray for the mission that you would have your way, your kingdom would come, that you would fill us with your power. Come Holy Spirit, fill each one of us with your power.